Lord, we thank you for your word and how you speak to us through it. We thank you that you are constantly using your word and your Holy Spirit to to speak specifically to what we need to hear, Father. And we ask that you will open our hearts and our minds this week to what you have to say to us, Father. And I pray that you will take uh, my words and that you will empower them with the Holy Spirit so they become what you are wanting to be said, Father. Uh, Because I am just a vessel for what you would want, Lord. And I pray that you will just have your will done in the next few minutes as we look at this word. We trust you. We love you. And we ask all of these things in your holy name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we are going to be in 1 John chapter 3. We're going to con- we're continuing our journey through 1 John. Um, we have a couple more weeks of it uh, as we get closer and closer to Pentecost. Uh, but we are going to be looking at chapter 3, the last section of chapter 3. Uh, so it's going to be 16 through 24. So if you want to start moving in that direction and if you... Uh, don't have a Bible with you, you can follow along on the screen, whichever one you want, uh, as, we, as we move into that. So if you will uh, read along with me, not out loud, but just follow along. <laughs> I realize that's not what I implied. <laughs> All right, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can, we, uh, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know what we be, that we belong to the truth and how we, are, um, how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our heart condemns us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. And we know it, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if your heart, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and we, and we receive from him anything we ask, because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and, in, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us, the word of the Lord. All right. So this is, uh, John is talking about love here. What is love? That's a big question. I believe that there are, and there are so many books written out there talking about what love is. How would you define love? And if you were to ask anyone out in uh, the world today, you will get a multitude of different answers of what love looks like to them or what they believe love is, from romantic love to brotherly love to family love to friendship love uh, and, and even to the extent of abusive love, depending on what they've received in their lives. But John wants us to know what true love is. And he is assuming and he is telling us that no one actually knows what true love is until they see and understand the love that is shown through Christ Jesus dying on the cross for us. That is the true expression of what love is. He laid down his life for us. It's important 
John wants us to see and to understand that the terminology, the, the, when he's talking about Jesus dying, his terminology is one where Jesus is giving up of his life, not his life is being taken from him. It's so important to understand that Jesus, Jesus' life was not robbed from him. No one on earth was able to take his life from him. We saw several different people attempt it um, in the end. Even the governor, Pilate, could not make the command to take his life. He washed his hands of the decision, and yet Jesus continued to allow himself to die. It was a gift. It was the most powerful gift. It was the gift of love for a people who at the time, well, even today, were his enemies. I've been working with um, my boys um, over the last several, well, most of their lives, but it's been specifically very evident in the last couple of weeks because it's really sinking in finally. Um, they have a very strong sense of retribution. So, meaning, if my brother hits me or hurts me, then I should hurt him back because he, that's what's right. Right? And that is not new with my boys. <laughs> the Bible tells us that it used to be said, an eye for an eye, retribution. If it is done to me, I can do back, right? Jesus' gift was not one where he wanted retribution. Uh, in our conversations, specifically with Keegan, as he's really been internalizing it and working through it recently, uh, which I'm, we get to sit in our, our the drop-off line at school for 25 minutes every morning as we're waiting to drop him off. And we've had some great conversations during those 25 minutes. Uh, he's been asking awesome questions. And so he goes, well, you know, why is, why don't I get to, if I get hurt, hurt them back? And I said, well, because that's not what Jesus wants. And he goes, well, how do you know? And I said, well, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, I said, well, when Jesus was being killed, his prayer was not, God, kill them back. His prayer was, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So I'm, I'm working through this with him, and, you know, and it's just a great example of this. Jesus laid down his life for those people who were killing him in order that they could have freedom, right? And as recipients of that love we are called it says we ought ought means you should lay down your life for your brothers and sisters the only true response to the love that we receive from the gift of god of jesus dying on the cross is to then do the exact same for those around us the the tense of the verb for or the or the word that is that we translate as for, is the exact same for the way that Jesus gave up himself is the same as how we should give up ourselves. When we do it, we are living out the true example of what Jesus did for us. It's not that we're just dying. We're actually embodying the sacrifice that Jesus gave when he died for us. Right? It's the same kind of, it's the same thing, and it should be our natural reaction. Now, 
John understands that not every single person is going to be put into a place where they are going to lose their life for someone. And he doesn't encourage that you do that. He doesn't encourage that you go out searching for opportunities for you to be killed for someone else. He gives instead a more tangible way that we can give up of ourselves. And he says, if anyone has material possessions, sees a brother and sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So he's using the negative. If you don't give up your, your material possessions, how do, you not, how do you have the love of God in you? It, there is the very strong counter-argument that then that means that you should be doing it if you do have God's love in you, right? This word, um, material possessions, is bios in Greek. And that word is most commonly um, translated as life. And what it, what it really is, it can also mean, which is how they translate it in material possessions, is the means of life, the things you need in order to live. So if you have things that you need in order to live, but you have more than you need, and you see a brother or sister, and that doesn't mean your actual brother or sister, it means anyone, who is also in need, then we should be willing to part with some of the things we have in order to meet the needs of those around us. The Bible tells us that if you have two coats and you see a man without a coat, you should give one of your coats away. Right? The Bible also tells us that God loves the birds of the air and they always have enough food. He loves the lilies of the field and they're so beautiful and elegantly dressed. And he loves us so much more that there should never be a concern in your mind that you will have what you need in your life. We so often have more than we need, though, right? We do. I am blessed with an amazing wife who likes to purge. She's a purger. She loves to go through our stuff, and if it's been something that we have that we don't use anymore or or we or we don't she doesn't see a need for it she's happy to give it away to people to donations at uh, different uh, different organizations she's happy to purge it which is something i'm learning to do because my natural tendency was not to do that my natural tendency is to say i know i'm going to find a need for that later or a use for that and so it needs to stay in our garage for 12 years until i find that need right <laughs> And I think many of us um, uh, resonate with that. The, the storage industry banks on the fact that many of us resonate with that. You know, how many of us, how many uh, storage lockers do you own, right? Or do you have filled up? We are called to be willing to let go of things for those in need. When John talks about the person who is unwilling to, has no pity in them, uh, it, this, this word penny, pity, is the word, I'm going to butcher it, so if you speak Greek, I apologize, um, it's kalisie, uh, and it's, it really means to lock up something. So pity in our English translation is really lacking the the strength of the word that John is using. Because what he's saying is if you are 
a person who has things that you probably don't need and you see somebody who does need something and you are locking it up inside of you, then how can you have the love of God in you? That's what he's trying to say. Now you can take that word and it can refer to the physical possessions of something. So as in like I lock it up and not, I'm not willing to let go of it, right? But it can also talk about the love and compassion God has given you. Because we are to be a conduit of God's love. It's supposed to be a through way through you. We are not reservoirs of God's love, meaning God bestows love upon us through his son, Jesus Christ, and we are called to not lock that love up inside of us. We are called to stand with our hands open and to allow that love to flow through us into the world around us because that is how they experience Jesus' love in their lives. You are the conduit of that love. How can we ever have the audacity to tell Jesus, I'm going to keep the love for me. That person doesn't deserve my compassion or your forgiveness or my forgiveness or they don't deserve acceptance. I, I, I don't think they would fit in here. At, I mean, they've got blue hair and they're covered in tattoos. They, they would not fit here, right? How, how do we have a right to tell God who deserves the love he so freely gave to everyone? It's dangerous, right? It's a dangerous way to live life. We are called to live with our hands open. You know, in the church and other traditions, when, when, a, when the pastor gives a benediction or when a prayer is said, um, many people will take this posture with their hands out like this, whether they're standing or sitting. It's a posture that they take before God saying, God, whatever it is you're going to give me, I'm ready to receive it. But at the same time, we should live our lives with the same posture so that we can say again to God, whatever it is you give me, I am also willing to give away because it's not really mine anyway. Everything that you've received from God is a gift to you. And you're a manager of that gift. It, he didn't sign it over to you and say, okay, here's your thing. You get to do what you want with it. What he's saying is, listen, I'm going to give you this estate of whatever, you know, you have your own, everybody knows what they have in their, as, as their possessions. And I want you to manage it as best as you can towards my will. Meaning, if I need a little bit of what you have to go help this person or this group or this whatever, I need you to be willing to release that so that my will can be done over there. Does that make sense? Okay. We, we, we cannot just use words or speech to express our love and compassion to people. We can't just say, man, the people out in our community, we love them as the church. The Bible, John says here in verse 18 that it must be taken in action. We must show it in the way that we live out our lives. All right? So then he moves on into verse 19. He says, how do we know what, that we belong to the truth? 
and how do we um, and how we set our or this is if we if we live out our lives our love is how we know that we are in the truth and how we um, are part able to sit and and rest with in God's presence. There was a lot of concern in the early church, and I don't believe it stopped in the early church. I believe it is very alive and well in everybody. There's a lot of concern with whether or not we are in right standing with God. When God, when we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins, we ask him to come and live in our hearts, he takes all of our sin and he eradicates it. He erases it. The Bible tells us that he throws it as far as the east is from the west. He, he buries it at the bottom of the deepest part of the ocean, and God literally forgets that it ever happened. He forgets it. We as Christians and we as people so readily, we have such good memories, right? We have such good memories of who we were before we knew Jesus. We know the mistakes we made. We live in regret, we live in shame, and, and it's, it can be so dangerous. Some people in our lives are so happy to remind us of those things, right? God loved them. They, they want, they just do for one reason or another. And it creates in us a self-doubt, a self-condemnation in our hearts. We begin to ask ourselves, how can God use me? I'm so broken. I'm so tainted. God could never use me because this happened to me. I made so many, so many mistakes as a teenager. How, how, can, how can I really redeem myself when you can't? And the, the danger is, is that even though we have been set free from all of those past sins, the devil is more than happy to remind us of them and to allow the guilt and the shame and the, and the self-doubt and the condemnation to tie us back up again so that we are unwilling to take steps of faith out for Jesus. We're unwilling to move into something he might be calling us to. Jesus sets you free. And when he says you're free, you're free indeed. John says that your heart, if your heart is condemning you, remember that God is greater than your heart. He knows everything. He knows everything you have ever done, yet He loves you. He has forgiven you. He is restoring you. And we must often daily remind ourselves of that when those voices of doubt and condemnation rear their heads in our minds. He goes on to say in verse 21, now if your heart does not condemn you, he goes, that's a great thing. It's all right. It's all right. I'm just glad it wasn't my phone. That would not have surprised me either. We, when we feel, when we stand in confidence in God, we should we should be rejoicing in that because that's where we should be. So don't feel guilty if you don't feel guilty that you of your past sins and you live into that freedom. You should be happy. You should be excited about that. And you should ask from God 
confidently, knowing that when you live in his will, he will give you what you are asking. It's all right. <laughs> Technology is amazing stuff. All right. Now, this verse 22 is a little challenging for some of us because it talks about if you, if you are standing in confidence in God that you'll receive from him anything you ask because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. That's challenging for us because often we might pray and not hear from God. There's silence. We might not get what it is we're asking for. And John isn't saying that if you do that, if you're, if you're praying and you're not getting your answers, then you're not in God's graces or you're not in salvation. That's not what he's saying. What he is arguing is that if you're praying and you're not receiving what you're asking for, you need to think about and pray or change your motivation of why you're praying for something. So we've talked about several times over the last month or so about this this battle that we have internally between our will and God's will. Because our will is often, more, more often than not, very much self-motivated. What we want to do, what we think is best. And so regularly, we find ourselves praying, God, bless this thing I want to do. Bless the plans I have. Lord, may your will be my will. Oh, that seems backwards right? That's how we pray sometimes. And John is saying that if you're praying and you're praying for something along this line, God loves you and at times will answer your prayers, but at other times he's not going to because it's not necessarily in alignment for with where he wants you to be going. And when we're not hearing from God, if we're not receiving what God is asking or what we're asking from God, it doesn't mean we double down and we pray harder and we, and we pray louder, we say the right words. It means, okay, what is it I'm praying for and is it motivated in God's direction for my life? We take a pause and we say, God, is this what you want from me? Is this where I should be going? Is this a motivation that is on me or on others? Because what John is saying is that if you are living according to God's commands, which he gave us two, Jesus gave us two commandments to live by. And John says it is to believe in the name of Jesus Christ, or to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the first one. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Two commandments. If you do those two things, you can stand in complete confidence you are living in the will of God. Because that's what God wants from us. And when we're living that way, you are able to say, I know that what I am doing is, wh is where God wants me to be. And so more often than not, God's going to agree with what it is that we are praying for and is willing to help us along the way. Instead of forging our own path and hoping God comes alongside and blesses us, instead we come alongside God where he wants us and is working in our lives, and the blessings are multiplied more and more and more. It's the prayer of, God, let my will be more like your will. Help me to be more and more like what you want me to be. Okay? Now it says in verse 24 that if we keep these commands, 
love the Lord our God, believe in Jesus' name, and love others, then we know that we are living in him and that he is living in us. The word living here is actually abide. This is more of a better word for it. It means to just exist or reside, to be in the same presence, to be in the same space. So when we follow God's commands, he lives in us. And we live with him. Now John has talked about Jesus and he's talked about the Father. And they are the same, right? In the Trinity, the Trinity is a concept that's it's a big concept, but it's the idea that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three separate entities that all are the same thing. It's, it's very, it's hard to wrap our heads around it sometimes. And, and John does not invoke the name of the Holy Spirit very often. And it is not because he doesn't put a lot of stock in the Holy Spirit. It's because there was a group of people out there in the early church who used the name of the Holy Spirit a lot to get what they wanted. They would just invoke his name and then say what they wanted to say and and so people began to get weary of when people would say in the name of the Spirit. And so John is very specific here in that the fact that he has not said the Holy Spirit multiple times. It's not until the very end when he says, listen, if you are residing in the, in the Father and the Son, and the, then you know that it is happening because the Holy Spirit is confirming it in you. He's confirming it when you're out living out the love God has asked you to live out in the, in the world around you. It's being confirmed in your spirit by the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is a, one of the best ex explanations of how the Holy Spirit works that I really like is that the Holy Spirit are, these, are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that they are living in this uh, self-giving, self, like they give away their love to the other two constantly. Okay? So the Father loves the Son and the Holy Spirit so much that he is giving all of his love to them. And the Son is loving the Father and the Holy Spirit so much that he is, it is giving, he's giving his love to them as much as he can. It's all self-giving love. They're giving it away to the other two. The Spirit is the exact same way of the Father and the Son. And all three of them together, they are perfect love. It is the model of what perfect love is. And, they, and it is the reason that God is, could be on his own because of his love, right? Now, when God made us, he created a fourth entity, and he loves us in the same self-giving love that he gives away to the other parts of the Trinity, okay? And so when, we, when he died on the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, he gave all of his love to humanity because he loves us so much. And it is beckoning and calling us to join into the, the term that, uh, that they refer to, into the dance. The dance of love with the, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when we accept Jesus into our, into our lives, we are invited, we're inviting three, the threefold God into our lives to dance this dance of love. Where we are giving of our love to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Father is saying, now listen... I'm giving my love to you, and you are giving your love back to me, but we need a third party here for you to also give your love away to, just like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you need to find another person to give the love of God to through you. That's the conduit. 
You are God's hands and feet. You are his example of love to the world around you. You should be out loving other people in a way that is drawing them into the dance with you and God. And it spreads. You bring them in. They receive the love through the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Their dance begins, and they begin to, to spread that love to others around them as well. Does that make sense? We are, we are called to be active participants in the world around us, in our church body. We are to give of our time, our energy, our possessions, and our love. We are to walk around with our hands wide open, saying, God, how can you use me? How can you use me today? How can you use me this week? What are your plans for me this month? How can I plan my day or my life to be more and more like what you're wanting me to be like? It's a choice. It's a continual choice every day. And when we live out that choice every day, more and more, when we live that choice out in our lives, we can stand in the confidence and the assurance of knowing that that is where God wants us to be. Because the Holy Spirit will be confirming in us. He will be constantly filling us with more and more love. He'll be telling you and guiding you where to go who to talk to, what to say. For some of us, that's not a hard challenge for us. Others, it can be challenging. But we have this awesome opportunity to be, like we talked about the other, day, the other week, ambassadors of God's love to the world around us. To, to not just say the words that we love our community or to, that we love the people in our church, we actually act it out. Ministering to the people here in one ministry or another by praying for each other, by being a part of something out in the community. There are so many organizations out there that you know we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We can team up with people that are already out there loving the world around us. We can volunteer in hospitals go and to show love to patients. You know, when, when we were in the hospital with Keegan, one of his favorite times was when the people who had dogs would come in. So maybe you have a dog, and you want to share your and your dog's love with some people in the hospital who are feeling pretty down about where they're at. You go and you get your dog certified at the hospital, and you can go around... Keegan loved it when the golden retriever would come into the room because it was like our dog at home. It reminded him of Bella. And then there was all these other dogs that come in. It was a lot of fun. You know, it always lifted his spirits on those days. Be creative. God will lead you to be a conduit of his love to the community around us. Will you pray with me? Lord, you are our everything. We want your will in our lives. We want our lives to reflect your will. Because it's what we ought to do. Help us to not live with our hands 
closed, but with our hands wide open for you. For you to give in order for us to give out. We want to be your conduit of love in a community that is so desperate for what true love is. We thank you for speaking to us today. And then we pray. Amen. receive this benediction. As you go this week, may you be a conduit of love to a world that is desperate for it. May you walk with your hands wide open for God to give to you in order for you to give to others. Now go this week and love the world as Christ loved you. You are dismissed. Mm -hmm.